Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! It's a dog howl kind of day, man. It's a dog howl kind of day. What's up, everybody? I'm out in Nashville. This is Chase Reeves, and it is a dog howl kind of day. This is a Fizzle Show where every week we talk about things that are interesting to indie entrepreneurs, independent makers, creatives, entrepreneurs, digital marketers, designers, people with websites and blogs and podcasts, and people who have ever heard the term webinar <laughs> and stuff like that. We're a weird group, uh, but we make we make a podcast episode of a real in-depth conversation every week about the topics and the issues that are important to people like us who are trying to support ourselves doing something that we actually care about, right? Because it can be a little bit of a slog out there, a little bit of a nightmare. It can be kind of, it can be really fearful sometimes, you know? And that's one of the things that we're going to get into today because there's this piece of advice out there that's just... <laughs> Honestly, it's just one of the most often heard pieces of advice. And it's kind of lame, but it's also like really, it's honestly true. It's the sense that you have to, quote, niche down. You have to find a niche. You have to focus and make sharp the sort of tip of your business so that you can actually, uh, you can actually like, like make waves. You can actually find people who are interested in it. You can actually get them to understand your message. That only happens when you're focused enough, when your message is focused, when your business itself is focused enough when you as the entrepreneur is focused and niched down enough so there's this advice that's like you've got to pick a niche you've got a niche down right however this age age old as old as time that there's this fear that comes along with that right there's this th- there's this fear that's like i i <laughs> I'm worried if I go too narrow, if I focus down too much, there's not going to be a big enough market. Or I worry that if I focus too much or on this thing instead of that thing, that I'm not going to be as excited about it over time or something like that, right? Um, this is the topic we're going to get into. How do you overcome your fear of niching down? And how do you find a niche that you can actually work in and build a business around over the next however many days, weeks, months, and years that isn't going to, you know, let you down. How do you find that niche for you and how do you overcome that fear? So, uh, without further ado, we're going to get into that. But first, Corbett Barr, are you there? Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? I'm here. I am. And it feels good. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And Steph Crowder, where are you in the world right now? I am just outside of good old Chicago. It's really nice to be back. I'm going to the, she did it she did it her way summit this week. So shout out to my friend who is hosting that summit. And I'm super pumped to be back in what kind of feels like my hometown of Chicago. Oh, well, that sounds pretty fun. And how long are you going to be out in Chicago, Steph? Just for the rest of this week. So I'm super pumped to be back. And by the way, guys, I feel the need to, I kind of feel, I know this is unusual for me, but I kind of feel like a dad joke coming on. Is that okay? Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, well. the best dad jokes are the ones that you think about for a while. I know, I kind of need yeah, validation. And, and, that, and it's, I think it's always appropriate to just warn everybody involved that a dad joke oh, is yeah. coming. As Chase was talking about niching down, it just made me think we should call this episode Niche Down for What? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
That is not a dad joke. That is way too cool for a dad joke. Because if I'm if I'm hearing you correct, isn't this like a little down, little little down, little John song or something yeah. like that? Who? Yeah. What? Is it like Big Papa? I don't know. Who are the rappers these days? So I don't I think understand. It was John. How, where you get off, Steph, thinking that a dad could be that cool to know about that sort of thing? Oh, it's turned down for what? Isn't it? Yes, it there is. Turned down. There you that go. With, there it is. Oh, is <laughs> that that will get the address uh, the aggressive dancing started if stuff that will for. that yeah. will niche down for what exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the niche best down for what <laughs> that's one of the best videos of all time yes it is whoa whoa i am unfamiliar with the video on the You'll niche down it, for Chase. what turn down You'll for what okay all right which is which is honestly it's everything i can do not to get into a deeper conversation about what the hell that song's about but in the meantime let's just let's just move on from that steph i really appreciate the warning and the attempt i think it was solid you'll be getting texts and tweets about like that was a solid seven out of ten dad joke i'm really glad you enjoyed it It we miss we met we definitely miss barrett brooks on the show where Mm -hmm. his his dad jokes would literally make barren women have children it was ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that <laughs> okay so we've got our topic today and let's get into it because this is a this is a good one i, I want to talk today about um you know what first of all why do we have to niche down i said in the intro corbett that like this is like this old old advice but um but it but it's good do you, you still feel like this is this is where new entrepreneurs and any entrepreneur who's like wanting to experience more growth, but they're not seeing it. Where's the traction? Maybe we need to niche down and find a more, a more targeted fit for our product or our service. Do you still feel like this is good advice people should be listening to? I think it is, but I think you, I think we have to kind of talk it out first, you know, because Mm. there's a lot of confusion around it. I think that some people present it as if it's a silver bullet but it's not necessarily easy to find the right niche. It's certainly scary, which is what we're going to talk about. And it's not always a silver bullet. I mean, sometimes it works really well for some people and and other times it doesn't. And to start this conversation, I like to kind of go back, go way back in time and just imagine how this thing came up. Let's Let's simplify this for a second because I think it can get really complicated really quickly for a lot of people. But let's just imagine like, where did this come up? Like what was the first business to niche down and, and why did that work for that person? And I just picture maybe a cobbler way back in the day, some thousands of years ago making shoes. And maybe in the town there were several cobblers and one of the cobbler decided that, you know, maybe I could make some shoes specifically for let's say herding, like for the shepherds out there in the field, walking on all those, horrible rocks all day long and they come into me with their normal shoes that they that are meant for walking around town and they're they're broken they've got you know heel pain they're constantly having to get them repaired so maybe i could just slap on this this other you know more durable material on the bottom here and i could start you know selling these the cobblers and then this person became popular because of that they got all the business from the shepherds and there you have like the first niche or an example of a, a really simple niche. And so that person was able to get business and those simple principles, I think apply to niching, whether you're talking about 
something as simple as shoes or something as complicated as some the the latest new software app that you know everybody in some specific field is really into because it cert- it suits their needs more than the general app that's out there. Wow, I really appreciate the uh, the shepherding metaphor that we went with. I appreciate the term herders. I like uh, I like the the like that. Honestly, it it preaches. That was killer. So and on and it, and it, it honestly it, it does. It's a great example of like yeah. Look, there's a bunch of cobblers around, and one decided to focus on one particular audience, or, or specifically one particular need. And that's what, that's what all of the shepherds like are like, Hey man, look at your, your ankles hella swollen. Like, you know, you need to, you need to go see Luis. He's the only, yeah, he's got these inserts. They're, they're orthopedic or something like they're really, really good. And it's helped with my bunions also. So I think, uh, it's a great example that we've gotten into. Steph, when you hear of like this, this concept of, of niching, I don't know. Do you, do you, like, I feel, I find that sometimes I get a little dread going when that, when that, when the conversation turns towards that way. And I realize this is where this person is. Um, if I'm talking to a younger entrepreneur or something like that, cause I'm like, not just young, but like young in their business. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's, there's so much exploration. I think needed to do it. What do you think of with, when, when this kind of topic comes up? Yeah, I have similar feelings. I mean, I'm as we'll we'll explore. I'm I'm for it at the end of the day for for reasons that we'll get into. I think what we're really going to talk about is discovering your voice and what you're here to do and what sets you apart. And those are all really amazing things. But I have found that there's a fine line sometimes between this topic of niching down and then we kind of start to get into weird, almost like. Shark Tank uh, territory. It reminds me of when you watch the show Shark Tank and people show up with these like crazy inventions, like these weird products that do certain things. And I think sometimes people who are just starting out in entrepreneurship think they need to have some kind of like crazy novel idea. Like they need to reinvent the wheel. They need to kind of strike gold by coming up with something that hasn't been done before. And the trouble with that, of course, is number one, it puts on just a ton of pressure. And number two, I think it makes people believe that maybe they don't have an idea that's strong enough just because it's not on that level of innovation. You know, like it needs to be the QVC channel or something like that, where it's like some special product that's never existed before. And a lot of those products are super niche. And people hear these stories of, you know, I think of the woman, I can't, her name is escaping me, but she's the woman who created Spanx, the product for women that's like super leggings that like suck all of the stuff in your stomach and legs and, and they're great. And women love that, but like what a niche product. So I think sometimes we talk about niche products, niche ideas, and it makes people feel like they're going to have to get so, so, so specific that they come up with something that's never been done before. So that to me is where the conversation can go a little bit sideways because I don't think that that's what we're going to be getting into. The idea of niching down is not that you have to do something so hyper-specific that it satisfies some crazy need that's never been thought of before. Again, it's kind of more about identifying what it is that you really offer. Mm, Yeah, and I want to jump in here for a second and see if I can keep this short because I was talking to someone here in Nashville. I'm in Nashville for a month with my family 
and uh, and this conversation came up, and I I realized that a niche isn't a, like a niche. Like a niche is like a, what niche means is like anything sort of small. It's like a nook. It's like a it's like a small. It's actually like I think de- dictionary definition and early use of it was like was like a small. You find your own place, right? Your own place to sit. Your own little like place in the room or something like that. Like you find a little niche to curl, curl up into. Um, and then it got kind of co-opted by by us, uh, like new schooly businessy people talking about doing business on the web, where it was really like now in order to stand out, you really got to be specific. And we're going to talk about why we have to niche here in a little bit. We've got four reasons why, but I want to just upfront say there's no there's no real such thing as a niche. What there is is there's the problem you help your customers overcome or solve, right? That's it's like picking which problem you're deciding to solve. So you can solve the having shoes problem or you can solve the shoes for for uh herders or shepherds problem, right? Or you can solve the people with weak ankles like 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 shoes for people with weak ankles problem. Right, you could you could solve any one of these problems, or you can try to just cast a wide net and just solve the the shoes problem. I need shoes, right? There's viable businesses in all of those quote niches, or or I guess I don't know target market focuses or something like that. But as you're thinking about a niche, I, I think it it really makes things clear when in your business you can realize. And this normally it takes being in business for a little while, working with a, a like at least a handful of clients, probably more, much more so than that. That's what it was like for me, working in Fizzle. It was after we started t- hearing from like people, fifty, sixty, a hundred different times, hearing the same kinds of messages. I'd get a hundred messages in a month from different entrepreneurs asking questions. I mean, the forums at Fizzle or something like that, and. Th- and like, honestly, 40 of them had the same exact message in them. And I realized that pattern. And I started to see like, oh my gosh, that's one of the problems we help people solve right there. That There's a whole business in that one problem. We're helping people do much wider problem, solve, solve a wider base of problems than just that one. And that's what our business is for. But we could have gone down further. Right, we could have focused on a more specific problem, and some businesses are built like sometimes are right for a very specific problem, and some like you you go for a very specific problem, and there just isn't enough people there to make a business out of it. Right, so uh, as we're thinking about niche, for all of you listeners out there, don't think about the word niche. Think about the problem your 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 customer has. Think about Jeff or Samantha or Ruth or Betty or Charlotte or <laughs> Veronica or what, whoever, like a, a customer you've had a recent interaction with. What was the problem you helped them solve? They are telling you what your niche is, right? If you haven't made something that, that you're selling to somebody yet, like get into it because this is where you actually learn as you go. So, with that caveat in mind, 
I think Corbett, maybe you can talk a little bit next about what, why do we niche? I feel like this is like a perfect point for, you know, Papa Corbett to, <laughs> to give us like, all right, guys, here's why we niche. And for us, when we came up with, with like, we were talking about this before we started recording, we came up with four reasons why you want to get started. You want to just go through those with us? Yeah. And maybe, um, as we, as we think about these, we could apply another example. I was just thinking, about examples from our own lives when we naturally seek out a niche product when we're looking for something because we have a problem. And and one of those areas that comes up often, I think, for a lot of us is when we need an auto mechanic. Um, Depending on the kind of car you have, you probably go to some sort of specialist. Like now I know that, you know, we have a Subaru and I go find a Subaru mechanic, somebody who knows them and, and has reviewed well for their work on Subarus or before I had a, a classic German car, instead of choosing a generalist, I would go looking for the person who specialized in classic German cars. And that tells us a lot about why we need to niche and what the advantages are to it for the business owner. If you think about it from that business owner's perspective, from the, let's say, the, the mechanic who specializes in classic German cars, first of all, that person really gets to focus. And that's the first reason why we want to niche as the entrepreneur, you really get to focus on becoming good at one specific thing, solving one specific problem really well. If you choose to focus on classic German cars, then you're going to get to know those really well. And they have unique quirks and needs and things that you will be able to solve much better. So that's the first benefit is focus. And let me stop you. Let me interrupt there for a second, because I think like, for instance, with neurology, this is a great little example of focusing your eyes are taking in and your brain is taking in like millions of pieces of data about the world around you, about the sensory stuff, but you're only ever really focusing on a couple things at a time. Like for me, I'm in the I'm in a room right now where there's a guitar in the corner and I can look at that guitar. And as I'm doing that, everything else is sort of blurry, sort of around it and behind. And my brain creates this model about like this room, about what else is in it and all this other stuff. But I'm only really focused on one thing at a time. Now, the truth is, if I'm like, if I'm uh, uh, someone who wants to be, I'll try to stick with the guitar thing. If someone, if I'm someone who loves guitar and wants to be playing guitar a lot, like if I go into a room and there's a guitar, like I'm, even if I don't directly look at it, my brain will notice the pattern uh, in you know whatever light and contrast and stuff, and will get me looking and finding the guitar, like before I've even focused on it, and. In focusing on it, now I can actually act on it. Now I can act on it. But there's this thing that's going on where you probably inside of yourself already have something that you want to be paying attention to and focusing on, right? This is where I think, you know, niching down turns into this like woo-woo kind of potential woo-woo sort of thing where it's like, dude, honestly, you can try to be successful and find the opportunity and all this other bulls crap. But like, there's something you want to be doing that like you're you're probably not going to be that happy if you're not doing something in this sort of direction ever in your life and and the more you kind of surrender to that and realize like dude i just every time i see a guitar i want to play it i want to be playing guitar i want to be a poor guitar playing musician much more so than i want to be a very rich unhappy you know whatever email marketing expert or something like that this is something about about when we talk about focus 
when you niche down, the, as it gives you as an entrepreneur a lot more ability to focus. Like I know I'm just focusing on making shoes for shepherds. Um, there's this other thing going on where it's the question about what are you typically focusing on in your life? What is the stuff that you find yourself just like focusing on almost unconsciously? Um, that's another area to look into. Like where can you even find your niche here? Hopefully that's helpful for some of you out there. I know others are just like, dude, enough with the find your passion stuff. Uh, we're not talking about finding your passion so much as, as like you can, like you can resist and fight against what is inside of you as, as long as you want. But like Steph gets into so well in her goals course, there's probably a niche. There's a focus. There's a focus already inside of you that you're like spent that you're like psychologically, emotionally and energetically. You're already spending time on this thing. It's like already got cycles spun up in the back of your, you know, CPU, your Ram is spending time worrying or thinking about this sort of thing. And if you can, and if you can find a way to get some traction in a business sense and an entrepreneurial sense on something that you're already bringing natural sort of like energy to in your daily life, that's where it's like you get this compounding effect of, of, I don't know, of not only is it like following the rules of niching down, but it's like this other sort of cosmic thing where you're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel at one with the universe or whatever. That's the dream. Um, all right, Corbett, keep going. So the first one is we niche down because it helps us as entrepreneurs to focus. Yeah. And I, I, I like what you're saying. I, I also like that you can almost use the words focus and niche interchangeably, right? You could find your niche or you could just find a focus yeah. for your business. So they're kind of one and the same. And uh, we'll talk later in this episode about how to niche. And I think what you're bringing up is one particular example of how to niche. Other people might come at it in just, you know, the sort of uh, like you, you like to call it the, the, the person wearing the button up shirt um, looking for like an analytical way of finding a niche instead of sort of an emotional connection to it or just something that you're already interested in. So focus is the first one. Totally. The second one um, is appeal. And again, if we're using the example of uh, uh, someone who has a classic German car, if they go looking for a mechanic and they come across a person who specializes in classic German cars, then that is naturally going to appeal much stronger than a generalist might. So um, choosing a niche or a focus for your business will make you appeal much more strongly to certain customers. Now, we'll talk later about why that could be a problem if there aren't enough of those customers, but just realize that you will appeal to certain customers much more strongly. The third one, mm. um, yeah. the third one, maybe, uh, Steph, do you want to take this? We... The third one we identified is competition. Yeah, absolutely. So what it, what it brings to mind for me is oftentimes it's one of the things I feel like we hear so often from people, honestly, not even just people who are starting out on their journey. I think it's really interesting and I'm sure all of us here can agree and we're at varying stages of experience with entrepreneurship. One thing that seems to be universal though is that feeling that you get when you 
kind of feel like you're rubbing elbows with somebody who's doing similar work to you. This can be especially painful when you're just getting started because you're like, oh man, I thought I was going to talk about this topic out in the world, like vegan cooking. And I see that there's 1700 vegan food blogs. How am I ever going to stand out? And that can be a really crushing thought that maybe there's not room. We've, we've talked about this a bunch of different times here on the Fizzle Show. So I think this third one is all about... It, if, if you find a focus, if you niche down, it tends to kind of answer the question, how do I stand out from my competition? What do I do about my competition? It's just another way to figure out how you kind of fit into the sea of different voices that are talking about the same thing. So the cool thing I think about finding a focus, like Chase was saying, you probably already have something that you want to be saying Uh, a voice that you need to find within yourself. And it will naturally, if you can kind of connect to that, it's sort of, I'm not going to say that it renders the whole competition conversation like out of the picture, because I think that's always simmering beneath the surface for us. We're all varying degrees of insecure in terms of what other people out there are doing, because we all want to make an impact. But when you can tap into what your focus is, what you're here to say and do, it kind of tends to give you that unique flavor to what you're doing without even having to work very hard at it. Yeah, I love it. And um, I think that it narrows the field of competition. It reduces the number of competitors that are out there. And that can be a really, that can give you some some headspace that you might not have otherwise. And it can give you an area where you feel like you can become, if not the expert, at least an expert in a particular space without having to worry about a million other people out there because you've kind of identified your little corner of the world and you know now that there are just these other three or four people that are doing that really well and you know who your competition is at that point instead of Mm. constantly looking over your back at who else is out there. Mm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, then the fourth reason why we might want to niche is because of marketing. And um, when we say marketing, what we mean is If you choose a particular focus, you have an idea of the problem that you're solving in a specific way and who might have that specific problem, then you're able to craft the materials that you use, your copywriting and so on, using language that is crisp and clear and will appeal more strongly to the people that have that problem. And then you also will have a much better idea of where to find your potential customers because those customers might be typing a a search in Google. They might be joining a specific Facebook group. They might be hanging out on on a certain subreddit, those sorts of things, because they are looking for something that is narrowed down, something that is focused in, and you can go find those people hanging out in those specific places. So those are the four reasons why we might want to niche. Again, just to repeat those, we've got focus, we've got appeal, we've got competition and marketing. And those are four pretty strong reasons. And um, it's why I think we, we regularly advise that people do try to niche down. It doesn't mean that it's not scary and it doesn't mean that it's easy, but those are good reasons why. Mm, I love it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about why this is so scary. Steph, why is niching down scary? Okay, so do you think this this would be a good time to do a little story time, bring this to real life in terms of story uh, time. someone from our community? 
All right. <laughs> yeah. Story yeah. time with Steph. Everybody circle up. All right. So um, we have a member of our community. So as you guys know, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, we're very inspired by the people who are like real people out there in our community. I, I still, having done this for three years now, I still think it's the coolest thing that these are real people who are struggling with the things that we're, we're talking about. That's really what inspires these episodes. So in our community at Fizzle, we have a kind of a vibrant channel where people can kind of talk about what they're going through. And we have this lovely member of ours named Madeline. She's a, a fantastic person, very talented event planner. She has a website. It's really uh, tongue in cheek and great. It's called whereisthedamncorkscrew.com. You guys can check it out. And she brought this question to our community. She's been working really hard at her business. She just launched in January. So we're recording this at the end of April. So she's only been at it in earnest for a few months. And she's had this big question for herself in terms of how do I niche? Do I niche? What do I do? And if I do, I'm really freaked out by that. So she's in event planning. She's always known that she didn't really want to do traditional wedding planning for a variety of reasons. One of them being, you know, that's a very crowded market. And I, I don't think it's necessarily my context clues from her. It's not really her interest. She's really all about, I mean, I think that's why her site is called Where's the Damn Corkscrew. She loves this idea of helping people plan like stress-free personal events. So that might look like baptisms or holiday parties, things like that. So she brought this question to our community recently where she's she's been doing an awesome job. She's been doing all the things that we typically advise, getting out there in front of real customers, interviewing them, hosting workshops to try to really get close, get her finger on the pulse of what people are really looking for when they hire someone to help them plan an event. And that this has kind of all led her to the direction of bachelorette parties. So bachelorette parties, especially here in the U.S., I could I could speak for those at least, uh, very very popular, especially in the summertime. And um, I can speak to this myself as well, having planned bachelorette parties. There's actually a, a surprisingly small amount of resources and help that you can get online. I remember googling this and like not knowing the first thing about what you're supposed to do at a bachelorette party and not really finding much. So that has led Madeline to this question of, oh my gosh, like I don't really see myself being a full-on wedding planner for a variety of reasons, but her personality lends itself really well to being, I could totally see her being someone that, that you know, a maid of honor would partner with to plan a bachelorette party. And I think she sees that in herself. She really likes connecting with people, helping them feel confident, planning a fun party and bringing people to, together. It's about the connection for her. But she's brought up this question. It's, it's an idea at this stage, right? It's sort of like, I've, I thought I was going to be this event planner kind of pretty broad topic. I knew I wanted to help people in their homes, but now I'm feeling myself getting pulled towards this idea of, and frankly, getting excited about it. Like, wow, I could be someone who attends bridal shows and things like that. I could be the girl with the booth who's just there to talk about bachelorette parties. And again, having been both a matron of honor and a bride myself, I, I that doesn't exist. Like at least in my in my vantage point, there's not been just a person there to help with that aspect of a wedding. And I think Madeline sees that too and is excited about it. But it's also and here's the part where we're going to talk about why it's scary. It's equal parts exciting and scary. It's exciting because there's opportunity and it feels aligned, like we've been talking about so far in this episode, aligned with your skill set, your interests. But it's scary because you can almost visualize the door closing on other opportunities. At least that's one way of looking at it. Where if you're sort of this uh, event planner, right, you can think about all the different parties you could possibly help people plan. When you choose a focus, you're also at the same time saying, you know what, I'm for this. I'm not for that. I'm for bachelorette parties. I'm not for 
40th birthday parties. And I think that can be a very scary proposition because I think the way it translates for people is, well, I'm saying no to potential customers. I'm saying no to revenue. I'm saying no to potential growth, even though it could arguably be growth in the wrong direction. So I think that's where the fear comes from is, am I making a mistake? Am I making the wrong decision? I feel pretty good about it. I feel excitement and that's a really good sign. But how do I know that I'm choosing the right niche or if I should even be niching down at all. So that's kind of um, a little bit of background, I think, in terms of how we arrived at having this conversation. It's a very real problem uh, that Madeline brought to our community. I love it. That's great. And that's just like, honestly, it's it's scary, right? It's just the scary thing. So talk a little bit about like the fear that you resonate with in there. I think for me, what it really comes down to is, yeah, it, it's that fear of making the wrong choice that I mentioned where, and I think, okay, so we've talked about this in the past as well. There's this, you know, the internet's kind of this crazy thing where you, I think all of us kind of envision ourselves stepping onto stage in a small way we are every time we turn on our microphone to podcast, every time you type out a blog post, you go on Facebook, you go live on Instagram, whatever it is that you're doing, when you put a stake in the ground, I think there's sometimes this pressure that's like, you better be damn sure it's the right stake. (laughs) And so I think that sometimes there's a fear of what if I'm wrong and I have to backtrack and I go, oh, just kidding. I don't do bachelorette parties. I do baptisms. There's this fear of whiplash where like, oh, but your customers will go, wait, but hold on a second. I thought you were doing that. So we've talked in the past about the fear of public failure. And I think that's what, for me, what I resonate with is the fear of if I go in one direction and it doesn't work, what is that going to make me look like when I decide that I was wrong and I need to go in a different direction? Now, I'm intentionally using this language because we could go and probably do a whole podcast episode about how there really is no wrong. I mean, all of this is information. It just because in the path to entrepreneurship is a very winding one. So frankly, there are going to be some some dead ends along the way. And that's probably part of what we're talking about here is the acceptance that that's kind of just part of the reality. But it's one thing for me to say that, like from sitting where I am right now, but I can say for myself in my own business and my own projects, I struggle with this too, because it's like, well, if I say that I am the person who does this, what if I'm not in love with that forever? What if I like something better? What if my customers don't like it? What if I hear crickets? I mean, it just brings up tons and tons of questions. So yeah, I guess you could say I really resonate with that fear. I'm I'm coming up with a lot right now. I feel like it's so real. And I think everyone who's decided to choose a focus at some point has had has has bumped up against these very real questions. Yeah, this is very about. interesting to me because like I think you remember a, a couple episodes ago um I mentioned wanting to do a podcast and and I haven't done it yet out of out of fear yeah. out of frankly just out of the same exact fear that you've mentioned why is this scary? And this is where we get into like this fear isn't a fear of niching down, right? It's a fear of mm. of failing or of being wrong especially when you're like we go in one direction and it doesn't work what will people think and i don't know why that resonates so much with me it doesn't language wise it doesn't language wise but as i've been watching sort of why am i not publishing something and why am i not focusing faster on what this thing will be about why am i actively resisting Picking my focus for the beginning of the show, even even as I've already got designs in the strategy for like, yeah, well, let it be about whatever it wants to be about in the, in time, right? But I've got to pick a stake and put it in the ground 
to start with. And I, I think what I keep mm-hmm. seeing is this sort of like, what if it doesn't work? Like, what if it doesn't get as much results as I want it to? Like, I'm at a place right now. Not, to, I mean, not to make it about me. I'm hoping that people can find their own stories in this. Where I am right now, it's like yeah. I actually have a little, little bit of platform. I'm a, I'm a T-list internet celebrity, right? Where I have, where I have like a YouTube <laughs> channel and a little bit of following and some clout as a co-founder of Fizzle, and I've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and all of this stuff and i've got friends that that um that have large audiences and i want i'm, I'm gonna need their help to like grow this audience because what i'd love to do is to have an actual podcast that is like that is like the chase reeves show where like people are like turning tuning in in droves so what's happening here is i'm in a dialogue and in a negotiation with myself about what my expectations are about this thing Right. And I'm not showing mm-hmm. up in a very, um, I don't know, professional way <laughs> to that. You know, when you, you know, like if you've ever hired someone or if you've maybe, if you've ever gone out for a job and you've just been the one who was there on time going like, dude, I love what this company's about. I just want to be here. I don't know about the future. I don't know about anything, but right now, this is the place for me. I like your founder. I like your head of marketing. I want to work under her. I want to make coffee and clean floors. I just want to be here. And here's what my skills are and here's what I'm about, uh, and, and I think I can be valuable here, and if you want me, I will be here, right? If you've ever been that person, in a, and most of us haven't, because none of, very few of us have that kind of chutzpah, have that kind of focus or, or awareness of ourselves, right? We're kind of always going like, is this the right step for me right now? There's so much fear in like, well, what, if, what does this mean for the future? And I, maybe that's something of this, like, if I pick a direction and it's the wrong one, what does that mean for the future? And what does that say about me? And maybe I'm not as magic as I thought I was. Maybe I, maybe I am, maybe my fears are true and I am actually not cut out for this. And so maybe it's that kind of archetypical sorts of fears that we're really, I mean, how can we be, it must be that something like that, that we're interacting with, that we're, we're trying to like, I don't know, we're in, we're orbiting. And how do you, Steph, in Mm -hmm. your mind, if you had a, had a coaching client and they're talking like this, how do you get them to cut through that BS, find the core of their desire? the thing that they truly want they're like their inner sort of child heart like wants this thing and they don't believe that they have the right or the to, to like go after it right it's almost what it seems like to me yeah w- w- does anything come to mind on like how do you get people through that fear yeah definitely and you know one thing just to kind of circle back for a second and i'll transition from there but something you said brought up an idea for me as in terms of why this is so scary and i've never thought about it in these crisp of terms, but I think this also has to do with, so we talked about the fear of failure, but the fear of being seen is every bit as strong here. So it's very easy to hide in an unfocused business, right? Like if you're like, I'm an online business coach or I'm a health coach or I'm, you know, fill in the blank, broad topic. When you, you were talking about putting, like figuring out which stake to put into the ground, when you put no stake into the ground, you don't actually have to raise your hand and say, Hey, I'm actually like willing to bet on myself and say that I'm an expert in something. And so 
thinking about that, it's actually a really big moment when you say like Madeline, for example, saying actually, hey, I I think I'm qualified enough to help you plan an amazing bachelorette party and you should trust me with that. Like it's so much easier to just go, no, no, like I kind of plan some events sometimes like birthday parties, baptism. Sure, I'll do whatever for you. So I just wanted to point that out as well, that part of this is um, there's some imposter syndrome tied up in here as well, which is like when you decide that you're for something, you kind of bring your butt to the line a little bit and say like, I believe that I've got something to share mm. about this topic. And yeah. you're kind of daring the world to see you as an expert in something. So for anybody, Madeline and anybody else out there, Chase yourself, anyone who's struggling with this, I actually see it as like a really big moment. Like you don't suck for not being sure about this. You're deciding how you want to be seen and you're betting on yourself. So it's a really big deal. That's the first thing I would say to somebody that I was coaching in this is that it is a big deal. The second thing I would say is and this is a hard one, especially like I, I can say it out loud, but I, I still struggle with it myself. We've talked a little bit about like, what if I make a mistake? The public failure. The crazy thing is nobody notices. Like we are all, you know, living in our own lives. And when we put something out there, I think we're tempted to believe that our followers are even going to remember like what we were talking about six months ago. They don't. I mean, even if you think about the people you idolize, you might vaguely think about what they were talking about six months ago. But I think we all, rec- we, we give other people the grace that we don't give ourselves. Like I look at my heroes and they talk about something totally different six months later. And I think to myself, I don't think, oh, she failed. I think, oh, she evolved. Like she's, this is how her journey's unfolding. So for whatever reason, we don't give ourselves that same space to let the, Mm. let the journey unfold. So that's a big thing. The second thing that I always love thinking about with this, and it's really crazy how much everything comes back to one of our main mantras at Fizzle, which is that everything in your business is an experiment. Don't go forgetting that for people who are listening. Like it really does apply. So I would encourage people to make it an experiment. Make it a six-month experiment. This has been my personally my favorite tip about this. And I, I use it in my own projects too, where if you think you want to be the bachelorette party planner, or you think you want to, you know, put your stake in the ground about XYZ topic, literally as hokey as it sounds, pull up your Google calendar, whatever you use to track your, you know, events and put a date on the calendar six months from today and tell yourself from now until six months, I am going balls to the wall again, like with this in mind, like I am going to put all my eggs into this basket. I'm going to give myself the space to focus and not allow myself to really challenge this whole idea for six months. You can do anything for six months. And the cool thing about that is it allows you to like delay the questions that you have, delay the overanalyzing until that date on the calendar. Then you have full reign to look at everything, look at your stats, look at your revenue and say, do I have traction or am I off here? But I think you have to give it an honest try. So that's the one reason I really like putting a time frame on this exercise. The second thing is that whole fear of like all the doors closing, all the doors of opportunity, telling yourself this isn't the rest of my life. You know, our friend Madeline, who we're talking about, she's quite young in terms of years on this planet. It's an especially scary thing to say, am I going to be planning bachelorette parties till I'm 70? Like, that's not what we're talking about. So when you put a date on it, you can say in six months, if this isn't my jam, I give myself permission to make a pivot and do something slightly different. So personally, that's like my top favorite tip for for finding that focus is put a date on it. I personally like six months. I think it's enough time to make impact without committing the rest of your life to it and allow yourself, promise yourself that you'll get to ask all your big questions when you reach that date, but not until you've given it an honest try. 
I love it. That's great. And Corbett, before we move on to this this topic or the set, the third and final sort of act of our show, which is like some specific tips on exactly how to do this, how to niche, how to find your focus. What comes to mind for you when you're thinking of someone who's scared to niche? What's your advice? Well, and this this kind of leads into how to niche because I, I like Steph's approach. It kind of bridges the gap between getting from the place of fear to the place of figuring it out and actually working on on a niche because so many of us spend months or years paralyzed with fear about something like this and we never take action and if we had just gotten over that and started working on something we could make so much more progress even if it's in the wrong direction we'll be a lot further along having had that you know little uh side trip on on a project or whatever so um another one I would say is flip the script. And instead of focusing on the fear of what if I choose the wrong niche, imagine that maybe you've already chosen the wrong niche. You've, you know, by default, you have chosen this kind of broad space that you're in, that you're operating in. And what if you're shooting yourself in the foot and the lack of success that you've had in your business so far is purely because you have not niched down. And so, Instead of worrying about, well, you know, what if I, what if I choose a niche and I'm giving up all of these other things? What if you don't choose a niche and you're stuck in this middle place of mediocrity for your entire business? And, um, maybe there's something out there that's a lot better for you. This is something that I, I really like when Chase was talking about his own struggles here, because it's good to realize that everybody struggles with this sort of thing. And at Fizzle, we have struggled with this in the past as well. There's always this question about our target market. And, you know, we, we tend to focus on what we call, you know, independent entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers. There's a lot of different people that fit into this umbrella. And we have had endless conversations in the past about, um, you know, whether or not we should, what if we just focused on bloggers or what if we focused on freelancers or what if we focused on makers or one specific group of people, could we find more traction there because our language would, would get crisper, our uh, courses would become more relevant, the people that are in the community supporting each other would be more related to one another. There are all kinds of reasons why that might work. But then, of course, there are other reasons why it's scary. And we have something that's going well right now, so we don't want to rock the boat. So, you know, whether you're just getting started or you're five years into it like we are, I think these questions already uh, always potentially exist. But what I like to do is instead of worrying about choosing a niche, worrying about worry instead about not choosing a niche and what that might do to you. And it opens up your mind to think about other possibilities. I love that. That's so strong. And so that's what reminds me of what I've heard an author talk about before where he's like, okay, well, if you want to do something, you have to do this. You have to write about what your life is going to be like when you have made this decision and when you have gained these skills and these expertises, when you've actually put your, your stake in the ground and you've, and you've made progress in this direction. But then you have to write about what your life will be like if you don't do that, if you never do that, right? You have to write about both of these, the positive for why and what it's going to be like 
negative and the negative, the consequence, the stakes if you don't do it. So for any of you dealing with that fear, first of all, you should just hit that like backwards 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, a handful of times to to listen to this part again about this. Why is this scary? Because I feel like there's a lot of juice in there. It really deserves a second listen to. I don't know if you've, you're used to doing that, dear podcast listener. I do it all the time. When I listen to something and it's good, normally it's about something weird. <laughs> I get really into weird stuff and podcasts, but like, um, but I'll go back and I'll be like, damn, that was deep. That was really wild. What was, let me go back. And, uh, and so, you know, use those buttons. Normally that's, that's if you just go left or right, like you're going forward 60 seconds or backwards 60 seconds. So go back a handful of minutes and listen to this bit again. So let's get into specifics here and, and close us out strong and, um, and talk about how to niche. Steph, talk about this, these first two, what you brought up in the, uh, in the sort of pre pre funk for this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll just kind of like quickly reiterate the, the one that I sort of already spilled the beans on. I guess I got overly excited guys. Sorry, but it's a really big one, which is that six month idea. So again, if you're like, okay, you're, you're you've heard this podcast episode, you've had the inkling to go and do this. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to focus, but that would be my favorite advice personally would be choose a time frame. Again, I think six months is nice. Treat it like an experiment. Put the date on the calendar, give it your full focus, and promise yourself that you won't overly question the strategy until you hit that date. So you'll want to ask yourself questions like, okay, if this is my business for the next six months, what does that look like? Where do I need to be? What events do I need to go to? Whose podcast do I need to be on? How do I establish myself if my sole objective is to to be the bachelorette party planning destination online how do I do that for the next six months? That's my first and I think probably favorite tip. And then the second one that I have, I think goes back to the conversation we were having about competition, which again, I think the niching thing really shares a border with all the fears that we have about competition and the questions that we all have about how we stand out and why what we have to say is worthwhile and all of those things. So one thing that you can do that I think can be really helpful is to go on, you know, kind of do some research and look out there at other people who are in your broader uh, topic, right? So again, picking on Madeline here, I hope she doesn't mind. I don't think she will, but she has the event planning angle, right? So looking at different big destination kind of event planning blogs and people out there who are known for event planning content, and you can kind of reverse engineer this, reverse engineer your own focus by asking the question, what are these people doing that I would do differently? What's missing here? So maybe, for example, I'm just going to make this up in the case of like a big event planning blog website. Maybe um, someone is an event planner who's also a mom. And that's like a a kind of unique flair where you really want to talk about how to plan great events, even though you've got tiny kids running around, which can definitely be a challenge. And there's this awesome event planning blog out there that's not about, it doesn't have anything to do with motherhood and the, the challenges that come with that. That would be an example of how you can say, okay, maybe there's like a little bit of a niche in there. So I like to play this reverse engineering game to kind of like spot the niche, if you will. So when you see other people out there that maybe you emulate or you feel like they're in your same your same industry, you can ask the question, what are they doing? Why is it working? But what about what they're doing isn't 
like totally satisfying the need that a customer would have that also is something that I could bring to the party. So I think by looking at that, you can almost discover what your own focus should be and use that to kind of inform how you set your intention for that six month kind of target market blitz. I love it. That's great. Um, Corbett, what's this concept of looking for a specific audience with a specific need, this third point in, in how to niche here? Yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes we have to do research before we can figure out what our niche is and, uh, looking at competitors is a good way to do it. Another way to do it is by seeking out little pockets of people out there who have some kind of frustration because let's say something that they want doesn't exist yet, or maybe because they have a problem that they've had trouble solving. And you can find these pockets again, uh, in Facebook groups, in uh, Reddit sub forums, um, you know, there are all kinds of places that people hang out for all kinds of specific sort of topics and uh, interests and things that people have and um, go find those things and, and follow the discussions and find out what people are talking about and look for areas of opportunity where some sort of need isn't being met. Mm. I love that. And then there's another, this is one that, that probably means the most, well, not mean the most, I guess the, I'll do the, the next two here, which is first of all, it's scratching your own itch. There's this idea of you solve your own problem, right? So how do you niche down? Well, you, you like look at, at problems that you've solved for yourself. Like, gosh, it's like the classic example for me is my use of, of, of reviewing videos of bags on the, on the internet. I'd get a bag. I, I had actually spent a lot of time looking for bags and I picked one and I didn't know if it would be good because they're so horribly merchandised with these crappy photos on their website. And then I was like, I wish that I go to YouTube to search for everything these days when I'm thinking of buying something because when I see someone using it with it's in their hands, they pull it out of the box, they click the buttons, they're telling you what it's like. I can kind of get a little bit of that dopamine, like what it would be like to get it. And then I can kind of flush through some of that dopamine and look at like what it's like when you're left with just the packaging that you have to throw away. And then it's like this thing's installed. Is it really changing your life? You're using this thing now. Is it really actually worth it? Right? So I started making these videos of, of bags, um, which you can find my channel on YouTube if you, if you haven't yet. Uh, and, and it started growing, growing, growing like a bunch, especially in the last few years. That was just scratching my own itch. I really wanted to find a good bag. I try, I like picked one at like, like after doing all this research, I didn't know if it would be good. It ended up being pretty good. I made the video to show someone, anyone out there who was looking for it in case they would find this, then they would know if it was a good bag for them to get or not. And it was just me in, in, in a garage (laughs) making like a, cause I was bored and I wanted people to hear my voice and I like the way my voice sounds and I like to listen to myself talk. So just deal with it. Honestly, that's true about me. And you just have to, you just have to stomach that. That's called scratching your own itch. Right. This is one of my favorites. Like I always hear, um, what's his name? Jack at Twitter. When he talks about entrepreneurship, he thinks this is like the, the only way to get into real sort of creative entrepreneurship. And he's sort of a stereotypical creative entrepreneur. And I have to admit that that's what my issues look like too. Like I love entrepreneurs who are scratching their own itch. People who are creating out of a sense of almost duty to themselves or to the world to try to fix something that's so stupid that it's not, that it, that it's not being done this way. I have to, I have to create this because nobody else has yet. 
right? That's another way to find your niche, scratching your own itch. And then finally, finding that niche that's already inside of you. Like I talked about earlier, this sense that there's something you already care about. You already like you're seeing the guitar in every single room you go into and it might not be a guitar. It might be the, um, I don't know. It might be the, like the, the lonely person, the introvert who's in a room full of extroverts and just going like, how do I cope with this? I don't know if I'm going, doing a good job. It might be what, whatever it is that you keep seeing in different rooms or maybe that you just keep thinking about. Um, and I have to say, for a resource on this, I think the best thing in the world is the course on finding and, and like I call it, like finding your goals, discovering your goals in Fizzle, which Steph guides us through this like simple. What was it? Was it two days, Steph? Was it just like a two day course? Mm-hmm. Yep, it was. I mean, it was taught live for two days. Two days. It, it was just two days, right? So you do like a, an hour and a half on on a, like a Saturday and an hour and a half on a Sunday or something like that, and it, and it and it's so killer because it helps you to do exactly this: finding the niche that's already existing in you, finding the things you're already caring about and that you're already carrying with you, and that you've you've decided are important to you. If you can create. A, if you can manifest a business in the world around that thing with just your own creative effort and your own, I mean, the world, you can shape the world. This is what every entrepreneur learns. Like you can just make things happen, but it takes time and it takes dedication. It takes discipline. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes motivation and it takes a machine, a kind of engine of doing this consistently, right? You can do that when it's something you care about, when it's something you think is important and there are tools for for that will help you stay motivated help you figure out what the next step is all of that is inside of fizzle i mean half the time you could just listen to this podcast and get enough motivation and inspiration for the next step right but inside of fizzle you've got the community you've got all of that stuff so i highly recommend you check it out because this goals course can help you to find that niche that's already niching you out, right? It's like, it's like the, the difference between finding the opportunity out there and trying to kind of exploit it or, or get into it and finding what, like, they're just surrendering to what's always been on your heart, so to speak, what you've already, always been caring about. And for me personally, I just had to, I just had, I mean, it, my life has been just a long process of going fine, like, like, of just slowly surrendering to like, ah, oh, right, fine, fine. I'm always going to care about this. I'm never going to stop caring about this. I've, I've tried to be a big boy. I tried to care about things that were much cooler than this, but this is just what I'm into. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I get verbose for all those people who, who, uh, who kind of need to need to quit it and surrender, I think, to be honest. Okay, guys, that's our time for today. Anything else to add, Corbett? Any parting words? Any closing uh, precepts for us? Uh, let's see. Where will the show notes be for this? Fizzleshow.co slash 265. Let's make sure we get a, a link to that video for Turn Down for What? <laughs> Niche down for what? All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been Fizzle Show 265. You can go ahead and go to fizzleshow.co slash 265. And honestly, make sure you're dressed pro- appropriately for dancing because it just might happen, especially if you've got some decent headphones on. Fizzleshow.co slash 265. Like I said before, get into this goals course. There's a free trial of Fizzle for anybody who listens to the podcast for five weeks. This is not something we have available on the website. You just have to type it in manually. You go to fizzle.co, right? Slash 
TRY5. Fizzle.co slash T-R-Y and the number five. Try five. And that gives you five weeks of fizzle. Way longer than necessary to take the goals course. But you can take the goals course. You can get involved in the forums saying, hey, here's what I'm into. Here's what I'm checking out. Here's what I like. Here's what I'm where I'm at in my business. Has anybody had any experience with X, Y, and Z? And you might be surprised what kind of relationships start to get built there. And what other courses are next. And what the next step in the roadmap for you is. Because there's a whole roadmap that you can find yourself on right there. Fizzle co slash try five all right y'all that is this episode i hope you're doing great i hope you find that niche that's niching you super hard already and that uh i don't know that you're just feeling good and it's all working out and that even when it's tough you don't have to be tough on yourself uh find care take care serve hard and dig in thanks for listening y'all and i'll talk to you next week on the fizzle show (laughs) 